the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2 this Thursday, May 13th. It's a delight to welcome back to the show David Arsani, senior writer for National Review, author of a hugely important book, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. David also knows well the Middle East, and I wanted to get him on to talk about what's going on um, in Israel, uh, Gaza, and the West Bank. He has a brand-new piece just out uh, over at National Review. The squad is rooting for Hamas. By squad, he means what we call, what do we call it, uh, our sewing circle, of our progressive sewing circle. Uh, and, and we're talking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar. David, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Well, it's a delight. You always you you, you and and just there's like three others. You're you're one of the three most important guys in writing um, these days, David, because you always write the answers to the questions Americans have, or at least my perception of the important questions that need to be asked. You always have the answers for them. You really do. You're uh, a great writer that. that way. You really are very uh, good. Uh, I think you uh, and I think uh, your colleague Andy McCarthy is that way. And uh, I think um, I think Heather McDonald's that way. You're just important. You're an important writer, and um, we're privileged that you join us so frequently. The squad is rooting for Hamas. Um, going through your article is a pretty good way to just get an idea of what's going on. And if you don't mind, I just uh, you've given me a roadmap here. I'd like to just walk you through it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, remember the roadmap, the piece? Yeah, this is the roadmap to clarity, okay? (laughs) Dennis Dennis says he wants clarity, not agreement. You and I will do a roadmap to clarity (laughs) here. Let's just take them one by one. AOC. um, AOC talks about uh, Israel routinely expelling Palestinians and attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque in an effort to dehumanize Palestinians. Talk to us about AOC's complaint. Routine expulsions of Palestinians and the Israeli attack on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, it's a complicated situation. There's a uh, eviction going on. Uh, it's been, you know, of I think it's five families who live in, in homes uh, that are in dispute. They are in dispute for a long time. I think it's been 50 years almost since the case has started. It has something to do with um, land being taken after 1948 uh, by Jordanians and, and out, you know, allocated to, to other families. And then when, when the Israelis took back that land in 67, um, they had deeds for the land and wanted it back. There's, the, 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 there's a giant misconception out there that the Palestinian land was routinely stolen, and the Palestinians were driven from their homes in '48, um, which is simply not true. I'm not saying it never happened. I'm not saying every all Israelis were angels, but many of the Arab, uh, you know, large numbers of, of, of Arabs left because the war was coming, um, and Jews lost their property as well at the time. So anyway, it's complicated. But this is just the pretext used by the Palestinian Authority to create. Um, Rioting and and in 
violence and, and hatred t- towards Jews, um, because one, I think they want to deflect from their own failures, their failures on COVID, their failures to have an election, their, their failures in, in economic sense. And they do the same thing with the, with Al- Alaska Mosque. They pretend, and this has been going on since the 20s when, when, Ar- when Palestinian leaders did the same thing, that they create rumors that Jews are trying to come and take their holy site or attack their holy site, and they create anger and they create rioting. So that, I mean, that, that's what I think sparked all of this. It's, you know, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty complicated situation, but that's the, the you know, the simplest answer. One of, one of the interesting things about Israel and propaganda, David, it seems to me, and I could, if you gave me five minutes, I could probably come up with 20 examples, but uh, there's one in here in the current story. But one of the things that it seems to me routinely happens is Israel does something fairly normal. And by fairly normal, I mean the kind of thing the U.S. might do on any given day because normal countries do normal things. And it gets somehow distorted into a racial action that becomes a flashpoint as an excuse for terrorism. To wit, for example, if one goes to the underlying evident evident underlying cause here, we are talking about a very routine uh, judicial landlord-tenant dispute that the parties involved, the tenants involved who are being expelled, who happen to be Palestinians for not paying their rent and their lease, aren't even the original owners here. This is not some removal of people's from their property that they've lived on for years and years and years and years. This just isn't that. This is a routine landlord-tenant dispute about rent, and it gets turned into some kind of racial extermination grievance. Well, yeah. So I think that a lot of people here, squad, people like that, progressives, I mean, I mean, I think for, for, as far as I see it, and I know that I'm, you know, uh, in, in this world and I'm on Twitter and things like that, but I think that you see a large number of progressives that have turned on Israel. I'm pro-Hamas, they're out there. I don't even understand what they want Israel to do, frankly, in these situations. But they've taken their um, sort of progressive, identitarian view of the world, where everything is about race and color of your skin, They've sort of like transposed it onto the Israeli situation as if, as if it's the same, as if Sephardic Jews didn't exist, as if it wasn't, if as if there wasn't weren't Arab Jews. I mean, uh, Arab um, Israelis. So it's just not. It doesn't work that way. It's a different situation. But they want to use the same rhetoric and the same ideas for every situation in the world, and they do. When you see them on Twitter, I mean, these are politicians. Um, and it's just, I think it's disastrous that, that no one in the Democratic Party has stood up and said, hey, uh, AOC, maybe, you know, being an apologist for Hamas, it's not okay. I mean, has anyone done that? Has Chuck Schumer done it? I mean, this sort of thing would have not gone over well even 10, 15 years ago, but now it's just the norm. Agreed. Agreed. And it's, 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 it, it, it drives one batty because it takes a lot of work to try and unwind these things. Um, let's go to um, let's move on to uh, Ilan Omar, if, if we might. Uh, she tweets: Israeli airstrikes are killing civilians in Gaza, which is an act of terrorism. Unlike Israel, missile defense programs such as Iron Dome don't exist to protect Palestinian civilians. It's unconscionable not to condemn these attacks. I've heard this now. This every once in a while, you get a new argument, and it becomes popular. 
a couple new ones came out uh, this week, and this one I've heard more than once, and not from exclusively Ilan Omar, that it's interesting uh, for uh, commentators to talk about Israel and, and the Palestinians. The Palestinians don't have the luxury of the state. This is a new defense of Palestinian terrorism I've not heard before, at least from legitimate elected members of Congress and, the, and, and uh, officials in the White House. I don't even know, you know. In, I don't in even know what to say. I mean, there have been five <laughs> offers of statehood to the Palestinians. I don't even know what to well, say. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, even in 1967, after the war, Israel had offered back, just for recognition, it offered back the living. It's not as if Jordan, Jordan had a Palestinian problem itself. It's not as if they wanted to create a Palestinian state next door either. No one really needs to, wants to talk about that. They treat all this like tenant, like you can rewind history to any point you want and start again it doesn't work it doesn't work that way but um this idea that 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 uh it, it's in essence omar is saying that not enough jews have died basically i'm sorry to say that i mean she's saying that there has to be some sort of equality here in suffering i don't even really understand what her argument is does she want hamas to have an iron dome um Hamas has a has a has a the perfect way not to have a single civilian casualty, and that's not to launch rockets at, at civilians in Israel. It's very simple. If they stopped doing that, if they simply uh, accepted the existence of Israel, they would have a state already. They would have had a state thirty years ago. Um, I just there is no moral equivalence in what goes on with Hamas and what goes on with Israel. They. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I've been making this argument for 20 years or whatever, and it's like the same thing over and over again. I was again, saying that the other day. We have tiring. this. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been saying this. Hamas right. aims, aims their weapons at civilians and is, protects civilians and try not to, uh, you know, they have t- precision. You know, Israel teaches other countries how to deal with terrorism and how to deal with not killing civilians. It is... They go out of their way not to kill civilians. I'm not saying Israel is a perfect nation that's always doing the right thing. The idea that they don't want to punish Palestinians and kill children is a blood libel. That's all it is. Uh, no one speaks about that way about other countries, not other Western countries, certainly not allies. But with Israel, it's perfectly fine, it seems. May, may I keep you another segment? Because I want to deal a little more with Ilan Omar's arguments as well as Rashida Tlaib's. Do you have time for one more segment with us, sure. Dave? That's great. Love to have sure. you. David Harsani is the senior writer at National Review and author of a very important book. We've talked to him about the topic before. It's just not right for today. But that book is, of course, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. I'm Seth Leibson. He's David Harsani. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have David Harsani staying with us. He's a senior writer for National Review and uh, has a brand new piece up there. The squad is rooting for Hamas, the squad being uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ilan Omar is um, uh, taking some heat for calling Israel uh, terrorist. That doesn't bother me as much as her fundamental misunderstanding of of the fight itself and clear use of propaganda. And I think you're right, David, to uh, to say that they're rooting for Hamas. The worst of them uh, is Rashida Tlaib and always has been. 
She she tweets the Nakba never ended. For those that don't know, the Nakba is an Arabic word that uh, depicts the founding of Israel in 1948, and it means what in Arabic, David? Tragedy? Yeah, catastrophe or tragedy. Catastrophe or tragedy. The cata- you're right. Catastrophe is the, the, more, the more used uh, interpretation. The catastrophe never ended. That is to say the founding of Israel was a catastrophe, and it's been ongoing since 1948. If you under- want to understand why we say they don't want Gaza and they don't want Janine, they want Tel Aviv and they want Haifa, there it is. We don't have to make it up, she told us. The founding of Israel was a catastrophe that has never ended. It, does it is it does it get any more clear than that, David? Am I missing something? No, you're not. I mean, she's talking about 1948. She's not talking about the 1967 lines or anything like that. And you know, she's honest about it, frankly, uh-huh. and, yep. and that's that's fine. Um, she's more honest about it than the others. And as you mentioned, I think she is the worst. I also think she knows more about it yep. than the others. Yep. And um, and that's that's fine. I mean. It's not fine to me because I think that she's, you know, her position is an immoral one. Um, and I, as, as a Jew, I find her position to be odious. I think she's my enemy, frankly, is no other way to put it. But uh, she knows what she's talking about, and uh, she's pretty clear about it, even though uh, the media won't report really what she means or, or put her thoughts in, in, in the proper context or framing because they just see brown people being invaded by, you know, Western colonial types. And that's that's how they see it, and that's how they've been framing it. That's how the New York Times has framed it since I'm a little boy. And um, and I'm not sure that's ever going to change. Right. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to change either, because what also doesn't seem to change is something we were speaking about just a little bit before the break, is, you know, the tiredness with which we seem to have to make many of the same arguments year over year. It seems like something like this happens every 10 years or so, 8 to 10 years, um, that uh, there's a small incident, as I say, tends to be a, a fairly regular kind of thing in a democracy, landlord-tenant dispute in this case, and it turns into and it blows into uh, something much, much bigger that lasts for about a week or two, hopefully not longer. Um and and it's a test of the Biden administration in some respects, a test I'm a little surprised he's uh, he's uh, he's taken the way he has. I thought his comments have been fairly measured. I'm guessing he's getting a lot of pushback along the lines that, say, Andrew Yang in New York City, of all places, got pushback. Were you a little surprised that he cowered in front of the leftist uh, cacophony? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York yeah. and I just can't imagine a politician not being completely pro-Israel there, but I guess things have changed. Um, sadly, you know, this is a bigger topic, but sadly, I think many um, American Jews just don't care about Israel anymore, um, that they have become so progressive that they've taken on many of the uglier ideas that come along with that kind of leftism, and that's, that's, that's a shame, but it also tells us why Israel is so important for the Jewish people. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit surprised, and I think you're right about Biden, though I will also say um, I'm pretty sure this wouldn't have happened under uh, the Trump administration for a few reasons. I think um, they're testing him. Um, he released funding to them, and they feel like they can get away with things, I, I believe. The PA, Hamas, I think, just joined in, which is my, how I read the situation. 
And in many ways, a lot of left-wingers in America claim that America is sort of, when, when, a, when a building falls in Gaza, they blame the United States. They say, you know, that the United States is giving weapons to Israel and so on. But in, in truth, I think that the United States constrains Israel quite often from doing what it probably wants to do to fix the situation and can't. It's not, it's not the other way around. So it's something to think about, and uh, especially as you move forward and, and the Democratic Party becomes more and more um, antagonistic towards Israel. I think you're right about all that part of the analysis. Is there an Iranian element to Hamas is supported by the Iranians, uh, has, as is Hezbollah, uh, which is uh, based uh, really more on Israel's north. But in any, res- in, in, in any respect, whether it's Israel's north or Israel's um, west, uh, it's Iranian ro- it's Iranian rockets and Iranian money uh, that is fueling that terrorism, uh, that reign of terror, if you will. Could you do you think they were flexing their muscles given some of Biden's leniency on Iran as well as the release of money to the PA? Much, much, much like uh, you know Joe Biden's statements and, and and early policies have driven the border crisis. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, I. I, I Listen, Hamas is launching those rockets, and they're almost surely there because of Iran. I am. I was taken aback. I'm not a, you know, this is a topic I care about that, but I'm not some, you know, huge expert on where, you know, how, how, how Qassam rockets or whatever they're called are put together. But I will say this. I was taken aback by how many they have. I, I don't know. I think they've launched over, you know, 1,600. 1,100 last like I saw. But, yeah, you might yeah. be at 1,600. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a ton of rockets. They don't have money for vaccines for their own people. They don't have money to build housing. They don't have money for anything, but they have money for this. So I can only, we can only guess that it comes from Iran. I know Hezbollah is more of a proxy for them, but uh, clearly, you know, they're they're funding Hamas too. And I don't know if you remember, you you probably do, but people might not know. Years ago, Israel used to stop boats filled with weapons going right. towards Gaza. That's why they have to do what they do with incoming cargo. Um, like so, the Karen A, we may recall, for example. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, it's a terrible situation. And in the end, this is not a war that Hamas can win. They will lose. People will die. And they, they want that's another thing. Hamas wants people to die so that useful idiots over here will use those deaths to basically perpetuate their existence. And um, it's, it's a tragic situation. But I have to say the, the, the Palestinian people will suffer more than anyone in this situation. And, and that's that's. That's a tragedy. So, you know, and there's no not any really good answers that I can think of to fix the situation. By the way, uh, you know, you're amazed by the number of rockets, Ilan, that they have in the West, in Gaza. Sorry, Ilan Omar is uh, is lecturing that uh, they don't have an Iron Dome, a missile defense system. Um, it kind of shows you where their priorities are. I don't think the United States would sell them the Iron Dome, but it's not as if Iran doesn't have missile defense systems. It is their priority not to have a missile defense system. It is their priority to have missiles. And that tells you something, too. That's right. Yeah. That's a good point. David Harsani, always love talking to you. You're a good man, and I appreciate your time and generosity. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. Always. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Anthony, you were very good in Gilbert to wait. I appreciate your patience, sir. Let's take it from the top. You're a teacher. You have two children, sons, I believe you said, and you wanted to talk yes. about their future 
our future and critical race theory. Yes. Now, for just, I do want to say you always have great music selections, and I did just buy, I bought earlier today your tickets to the uh, Crisis on the Border. Oh, great. That'll be a great time. Please make sure you say Um, hello. Definitely. So, I'll be the one without a mask. mask. (laughs) Me too, just so you know. So we'll Um, recognize each other. Okay. Right. So the, the thing, the biggest thing that I want parents to understand is even though the Arizona state legislature is going to ban critical race theory from being taught, and I do think it's going to pass, and I do think Ducey's going to sign it, that doesn't mean critical race theory is not going to be taught in education. I wanted to finish your edu- sentence. I, w- I so badly wanted to interrupt you. I will do so here now. Even okay. though the legislature is going to pass it and Ducey's going to sign it, it won't stop it. That's exactly what I was going to say. But you're on it already. Right. Go ahead. We're in agreement. Yeah, We're in fierce agreement. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what the education system right. does. Right. It, the way, you know, I, you had talked on your, with your previous, you know, guest that was talking about Hamas and what's going on in, in Israel, that you guys are just having the same arguments over and over again. Yep. Well, there's a reason for it. Yep. Because education is teaching the wrong information over and over and over again. Yep. And every generation is coming in with just wrong information. Right. Whether it's, you know, if something is as easily disprovable as the Vietnam War, just ask a veteran about some of those, you know, body counts over there. My dad was a combat medic. He came back from Vietnam and he was like, "Why are they reporting we had a hundred thousand deaths in this particular battle? We only had three. Right. We only had thirty-five. Right. So, you know, all of that's kind of going on. And, and truth is, the first so casualty me, of war. It was once said. I forget by who. You probably know, but, but boy, you see it. Whether it's uh, <laughs> fighting communists or fighting terrorists, truth is the first casualty. Well, and I would say you, you just said the same thing twice. Communist, terrorist, they're Fair all enough. the same, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, There's an important book I, on that. I, that's not that's not a side point. I'm going to keep you a while, Anthony, if you've got the time. I've, yeah. You've got a, you and Absolutely. I have a lot to talk about here, clearly. But uh, there's an important book on this. If you, it's called Terrorism and Liberalism, and uh, came out in 2003. Very important, written by a liberal, uh, showing the connections uh, between communist movements and and terrorist organizations since World War II. But anyway, go ahead. Well, and, and I always find it funny that people want to talk about, you know, Nazism, and as bad as that is, I mean, if you do a body count, there's no comparison. No. Communism has killed far more people. Yep. Neither one's good. One casualty is one too many, but, you know, one murder is one no, too many. No, but it is a weird thing that we, we can sit here and say, you know, people who believe in space aliens are nuts, for example, but people who tout Marxism get streets named after them to me they're they're equally dangerous because stupid but they're not equally dangerous because believing in ufos or space aliens has no public policy consequences believing in marxism does and there are hundreds of millions of deaths to prove it right and my biggest thing is with my kids is i'm not just going to sit idly by and and try to you know fight in a battle that I'm outnumbered, outgunned, and outmanned. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to run for the Gilbert School Board God of Education Good and you. get on the board. God bless you. Um, my motto is pretty simple. It's education, not indoctrination. Good. My, my belief system is it's a teacher's job to teach kids how to think. It is not their job to teach them what to think. And far too often that's the case. In Let me know when you have a website. Let me know when you have a campaign. I will be your first donor. Well, and that's the thing, too. One of the reasons I was calling in, too, is, and, and I can obviously get this either at the event or maybe after I talk to you, you can send me somewhere, but 
I've never run for public office before, so I have no idea how this process even works. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of looking for guidance to kind of point me in the direction so I can just go. Sure. Well, if uh, failure is a great teacher, I will be a good teacher for you. And uh, I will happily (laughs) share with you what I can. (laughs) You you, you know what I'm going to say, Seth. There's no such thing as failure. There's only, well, failure is important. I learned a hundred times how not to do it. Exactly, okay. exactly. All right. So, but I think the thing that parents can Hold do... Hold the line. Is, I, I want to keep you. i got to keep you. I want to talk about critical race theory um, with you yes. when we come back because you understand it. And it's this phrase. It's kind of odd. It, it just came fast at us. Uh, I've known of it in the academy for decades. It's now spilt out of the academy, you know, like a virus out of a lab and infecting the rest of the world. Uh, Let's talk about what that infection is, Anthony, because a lot of people are catching up to the phrase. They're not quite sure what it means just yet. Does it mean criticizing people over race? What is critical race theory? Anthony and I will tell you when we come back. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy, the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. The real difference between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies beyond her impeccable integrity is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy has figured out the formula. If you sign up with her now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. Don't believe me? Check out the testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. Again, she will give you a $1,000 bonus at signing, your solar panel payments covered for one year, and your power bills covered for one year. Check her out at AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623-850-8229. Solar Sandy at AskSolarSandy.com. I'm talking with uh, Anthony and Gilbert about critical race theory. He's a teacher himself running for school board. God bless you, Anthony. That's where the changes have to be made. I am convinced of it, and I am delighted you're doing it. Um, you will be our new edu- local education expert once you win that race. And I love your motto. Tell the audience your motto again. Well, in, in, my motto is education, not indoctrination. Perfect. And and I, I think teachers need to start teaching kids how to think, not what to think. Love it. That's kind of been my motto as a teacher since day one, and I've never let it down. You know, I've never it's never failed me. With, the best teacher, that, that, that is what the best teachers do, um, by the way. Right. Those who are confident in their own opinions and don't feel the need to seek validation from their students have always – thought that it was the process of teaching children how to how to think, how to construct sentences, how to construct thoughts, how to construct reason, how not to engage in logical fallacy or historical fallacy. That's always been my understanding of the role of education. But um, it changed. Obviously, it, 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 it became uh, at first something like a, um, a subversive activity and now it has become an, ent- uh, uh, an, uh, an entirely uh, ideological persuasion um, uh, activity. And it's a shame. It's a damn shame because it's, it's, kids aren't getting what they need. They're just not getting what they need. And we are graduating children to become aliens to a country they don't know. You graduate right. high school at age 18 uh, or 17. 
Um, you're ready to join the military, go to college, maybe have your first job, uh, vote uh, for certain, um, do all kinds of things that an adult is expected to do, and 50% of you will not know anything about American history. Well, or, or you have completely wrong information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now, the one thing that I want people to understand, especially in education, is and, and teachers in, in, a lot of, in a lot of respects are a lot like politicians, as much as I hate to say that. They tell you what they want you to know while they do what they don't want you to know they're doing behind the scenes. So, like, right now, critical race theory, everyone's like, where did this come from? This came out of nowhere. Well, the reason critical race theory is in the forefront right now is because currently they're working in the backstage, in, in, the, in the background, in the lab, as you said. They're working on a thing called the 1691 Project. Right. So, you know, right now, critical race theory is out there, and everyone's fighting that, and they're going to win that. They're going to think it's over. But in the meantime, the 1691 Project got implemented, put through, passed through legislation. Everyone's like, well, what the heck is that, if they even pay attention? And by the time it becomes a part of the curriculum, they believe that parents are going to think it's too late and there's nothing they can do. And I'm telling you, as a, as a parent myself, but also as a teacher, schools are terrified of, te- of, of parents that are vocal and willing to speak up. Mm-hmm. They will cave, like, faster than anything. A parent or a group of parents that are willing to stand up against the tyranny of the education system will, will buckle their knees quicker than anything. I agree with that, and that's why I think it's important for parents to band together or create uh, social educational type support organizations amongst themselves on this stuff so they can go in as groups. The problem is we had a parent earlier, Dana, she's also absolutely right, right, which is they don't make it easy. It is hard to fight City Hall. They do send you through a lot of hoops. Um, uh, But at the end of the day, you do have, as you said, the ability to organize, assemble, and the and the ability to run for the damn office in the first place, which is right. Why well, and, and the thing too that I want Dana to know is if she can get a group of parents to email their principals and email the district and email the board. And now I know she said she couldn't even find her board, which you know that you can work on that. Yeah, there are ways to get to right, that. right, right. But even if it's just the parents bombing the school, saying, "Hey, you know, the chances of getting movement at that point." It's kind of like a, it's like a politician, right? If you hit them enough times with an email, they're going to eventually respond. I think so. The, the Pulitzer the Pulitzer Center is the one that's that was running. They have a. If you look it up, if you look up the Pulitzer Center, they kind of talk about the 1691 project as a curriculum, and people can look into that. There's also a thing called an 1857 project, which talks about racial injustices in and around the St. Louis area. But it's not just St. Louis. You can adapt that um, curriculum to any state. Any city, Phoenix, New York City, you know, Albany, you could do it in Portland. I mean, you could literally take those concepts and and incorporate it in any city, and that, that makes it very adaptable. So that, there's a couple things that I want people to think about that's in the background. No, that's good. That's important, and that's right. And I think there's another message here that maybe it took we conservatives too long to figure out. Not all of us. Some of us have been sounding these themes for a while, but perhaps to others – which is what happens in the classroom does matter. When we're telling you yeah. about dangers in the academy, don't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye. And I give you the present day. All of this stuff was crazy academic lunacy uh, 50 years ago. It was academic, credible 20 years ago. Uh, and people said, well, that's still just college crud. Well, now it's in the, sec- now it's in the U.S. Department of Education. 
So, right. you know, don't don't think a bad idea will die in the ivory tower. That's where it most likely will become most nurtured. And do keep in right. mind, we are graduating six million high school seniors and college graduates a year drenched in that stuff. It's going to make a difference. Well, and, and and I don't want to take up t- you know too much more of your time because I know you have other callers, and I really appreciate you keeping me on as long as you did. But one of the things that I do in, in, when I teach history, especially government, is I tell the kids about the, the, the three ways that the founding fathers, well, not the founding fathers, but the founding of the country eventually killed slavery, that they tried to kill slavery from the beginning. You know, I always say that the, the Declaration of Independence was the diagnosis to the patient of terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because when it says all men are created equal, as soon, as soon as those slave states decided to recognize those slaves as people for the purpose of population, they're now people, exactly. and the very concept of slavery is dead on arrival. Exactly. So you have the diagnosis with the Declaration. Exactly. The Constitution was the doctor telling them, you know, well, I'm, I'm sorry, the Declaration was the getting of cancer. The, dec- the Constitution of the United States was the doctor telling you you have terminal cancer, and the Civil War was the death of the patient. Fair it enough. just took time over the course of, of, of that time period. And as soon as people, you know, as soon as I teach kids that and I, and I tell them that, it's like the light bulb goes on because it makes sense because we have the truth on our side. It's also important to understand that there were two views of the Constitution and the Declaration. Right. There was Lincoln's right. view and there was the Confederate view. And I think it's interesting right. that those following the 16 and promoting the 1619 project, they adopt the view of the Confederacy and Alexander Stevens. Um, they do not yeah. adopt the view of Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Lincoln and Frederick Douglass said the roadmap to getting out of slavery is the Declaration of Constitution and Constitution. The Confederates said the roadmap to keeping slavery is the Declaration and Constitution. Who was right and who's on whose side? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Doug is in Maricopa. Hi, Doug. Well, how are you doing, Seth? It's nice to hear your voice. Well, it's good to be heard. Um, I I have to uh, say I was given a little bit of jolt of hope uh, by your last guest, uh, because as you know, I've grown a little uh, reticent with my with my side in conservatism and in our ability to counter the left. Uh, because we tend to approach all um, arguments from their point of view, and we tend to fight from a point of neutrality while they push very aggressively. And if you have one person neutral and one aggressive in their opinion, the person aggressive in their opinion always wins. Uh, a good example is the the uh, Board of Elections in, in Michigan where they shouldn't have certified it, and the lady even later agreed that she shouldn't have. But she was under pressure from the aggressive left, and she immediately said, well, you know, I just want to be neutral, and I just want to be nice. And so you immediately cave, and we've caved our way for 40 years and uh, lost every institution and lost it. Well, the, you know, the regulatory state has advanced until we are where we are. So I'm very hopeful that he's willing to uh, do this, and I'd actually be willing to contribute some mm-hmm. money and work for him a little bit, even though I'm not in Gilbert. But he, he can't come at it from a point of view of neutrality, which is just 
ordinary traditional education, he has to be willing to really push, mm-hmm. you know, because I'll tell you, they will push and they'll try to make it seem unfair if you do anything. I, I remember one time there was a huge room up in Kirkland, Washington, in the school board, and they were talking how they were going to push about uh, an idea keeping open-minded. They had, they're going to show the kids a box um, showing one room in the house, and they were going to have the kids describe it, and then they were going to turn it around and show that it's really a totally different room. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to be open-minded. And we had a room of three or 400 people in there. And I totally embarrassed my wife because as soon as I saw that, I thought, well, that's really nice. And then I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so I raised my hand. And I said, you don't even believe in that. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, no, why? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I said, do you talk about having two points of view for every idea when you talk about Nazism? When yeah. you talk about, the, you know, when we talk about racism, do you show talk about two points of view and put in the, the racist side of view? No, you do not. Right. There is such a thing as moral clarity. Nice, nice. And, and it, you know, and all of a sudden, all these other hands went up. But most people will not go nose to nose no, right. in front of everybody. No, you got to. It's a war every day. You got to push back as hard against the culture as pushes against you. Well said, Doug. Dr. Zudi Jasser coming right up.